in the book of Leviticus. And I, I've mentioned the last couple of weeks, uh, Leviticus is, it is weird. It's probably, it's at least top five weirdest books in the Bible. Um, and, uh, you know, people read it, they get discouraged. Uh, they don't understand at all what's going on. Um, it's the third book of the Bible. And I think one of the things that's helpful to remember when we're talking about Leviticus is, is two big things. And one is the cultural differences between us today and this like <laughs> nomadic agricultural society 3,000 years ago on the other side of the world, like the differences are staggering. I mean, this is just... I mean, you, you know, some people, they'll, they'll like go to Mexico and they'll be like, wow, like everything was so different, like not even close. OK, this is this is a completely different culture. So we got some translation work that needs to happen. You almost need like a local guide to like help you along. So we're dealing with big cultural differences. And then, of course, we're also dealing with big uh, theological or spiritual differences. So the big thing here is that Leviticus, it's the third book of the Bible. It's in what we call the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, the, the thing that kind of makes the Old Testament the Old Testament is that it is before Jesus Christ comes. And when Jesus comes, it like flips everything on its head. That hasn't happened yet. And so even in the New Testament, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, in the book of Hebrews, it's talking about some of the stuff we're going to talk about today, some of these offerings and things. And it says those offerings, the things we're going to talk about today, they are only a shadow of what is to come. Um, now shadows are kind of helpful you know that something's there from a shadow you know you can see like if somebody's moving but like my shadow doesn't look a lot different from Corey's shadow or Andy's shadow but Corey Andy and I look pretty different so um, it's only until you get Jesus that you see the real thing and so the idea here is we're going to look at the shadow and then look at Jesus and I think from those two together we're going to get a clearer picture okay so uh, let's look at Leviticus chapter 3. This is on page 105. Um, so two weeks ago, we talked about the burnt offering. That was chapter 1. Last week, we talked about the grain offering. Here's chapter 3, verse 1. If someone's offering is a fellowship offering, and he offers an animal from the herd, we're talking like cows here, um, whether it's a male animal or a female, He's to present before the Lord an animal without defect. Remember this recurring theme that you, you bring in the good stuff. Um, without defect. He's to lay his hand on the head of his offering and slaughter it at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And then Aaron's sons the priest shall sprinkle the blood of the animal against the altar on all its sides. And, and from the fellowship offering, he's to bring a sacrifice made to the Lord by fire. Uh, all the fat that covers the inner parts or is connected to them, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins, and the covering of the liver, which you will remove from the kidneys. Uh, then Aaron's sons are to burn it on the altar, on top of the burnt offering that's on the burning wood, as an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. If you were here a couple weeks ago, uh, this is going to sound pretty familiar. Okay, this, is, this is a lot like the burnt offering. You bring in an animal, a good one. And then remember we talked about, it says you, you lay your hand on the animal. And you, Anybody remember the Hebrew word for laying your hand on it? 
Samak. Okay? So, and remember what we said about Samak. When you lay your hand on the animal, is it like this? Or is it like this? Right? We talk about how Samak means like to lean in. So you, if a Samak, you got to use your legs. Okay? You lean in. And does anybody remember in the burnt offering, what did the people do when they were Samaking? Does anybody remember? Confessing sins. Right? They're confessing sins. So, they're samaking here in the fellowship offering, but they're not confessing sins. The, the, the fellowship offering is a little bit different. Uh, the fellowship offering was kind of like, it was less about confessing sins. It was more about like saying thank you. Okay? So there's three different kinds of fellowship offerings that are explained in the Bible. And they're, I think they're all pretty similar, but the Bible gives them all different names. Um, so the first one is, it's, like, it's called a vow offering. Uh, there's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 1 about this woman named Hannah. And Hannah wants to have, she wants to have a child. She, she can't have children. She really wants to have a child. And so she makes like this deal with God. And she says, if you give me a son, I will, like, I will dedicate him to you. Like he'll work in your house. Um, you know, she's like making a bargain with God. Anybody here ever made a bargain with God, right? We do it all the time. So uh, Hannah makes this bargain with God, and then lo and behold, she has a son. And so when she finally is going to fill her end of the bargain, when she brings her son in, so he's going to start working in the house of the Lord, um, she sacrifices a bull. We read about it in 1 Samuel 1. That is, it's a fellowship offering, okay? So it's like, thank you, God, for like, Help me out, basically. The second kind, and I, I think, again, they're all pretty similar. The second kind was called a, a free will offering. So we read about this one in the book of Ezra. Let's hear it for Ezra. Uh, Ezra chapter 1. Uh, God's people have been in exile. They were taken out of their country, taken away for 70 years. They finally are coming back, but their temple, like the place where they worshipped, has been destroyed. They come back. And, uh, and they, they say to each other, let's, let's take a free will offering. Basically, let's all bring like money or food or gold or whatever. And what, if you can contribute, contribute, and we're going to rebuild this temple. Uh, and it was a way of saying, thank you, God, for bringing us back from exile. Anybody wants, bring something in. Everybody chip in. We're going to try to rebuild this temple. That's the, the vow offering. But the, the most common... The one that comes up the most is just called the thank offering. This one's like um, when, so the Israelites, you know, they're wandering in the desert for 40 years, waiting to get in the promised land. Moses says, when you finally go into the promised land, so when you cross over the river and you're like there, he says, first thing you do, set up an altar and give a thank offering. Or uh, later in the Bible, when they, they build the temple for the first time, King Solomon, when he builds the temple, they've wanted to do this for years. They finally get to do it. They're dedicating the temple, and we read that they made thank offerings there. So the idea here is like, God's been good to us somehow. Uh, he's been gracious to us. This is like our way of saying thanks. And so the idea with the Samach um, was not that you're confessing your sins. So we said before, like, some scholars think maybe they recited Psalm 51 in the burnt offering. Like, uh, have mercy on me, O God, according uh, to your unfailing love. With this one, they think maybe it was Psalm 100. 
that people recited. So it was more like, uh, give thanks to the Lord and bless His name, for the Lord is good and His love endures forever. But the idea, whether you're confessing your sins to God or thanking God, so whether it's kind of sad or kind of happy, when you're, when you're saying these things to God, this is the God of the universe, like, put your legs into it. Like, this is not just like hanging back and like, yeah, you know, thank you, God, this is really cool. It's like, no, you, you get into it, okay? So, samak. Next thing you do, you kill the animal right there in church. Um, you, you slaughter it, and you start cutting it up. Um, and then it says you take two parts of the animal, and you burn those up. So the burnt offering, does anybody remember how much of the burnt offering was just whoosh, totally consumed? It was the whole thing. Like you didn't eat any of it. It just whoosh, the whole thing, you just burned it to ash. You do the same thing here, but just with two parts. Just with the, the fat and the kidneys. What in the world? Right? Um, so the theory with the fat is that, um, you know that expression like the fat of the land? It's like the best part. Or like there's a story in the Bible, the, the story of the prodigal son. The son runs away, then he comes back, and the father says, um, go and kill the what calf? The fat calf. The idea is like, get the best animal we got and let's cook that one. So the fat was kind of like, that was the sign of like richness and like the best part. So you burn that part. Kidneys is a little more complicated. Um, you know how some people say like, if you really want to know Sean, like you got to know his heart. You know, like, like, you know that guy, like he just, he wears his heart on his sleeve. And they're talking about like, what do you care about? Like, what are your passions? Like, what do you love? Can I, we've got some professional medical people here. Um, does my heart beating in my chest, like, does that say anything about, like, what I care about or what I'm passionate about? Like, biologically speaking, does it have anything more to do with that than, like, my big toe? Like, it's just arbitrary, right? Like, we just picked a, an organ in our body to be, like, the emotional center. The Israelites arbitrarily chose the kidneys. Um, so if you really wanted to know an Israelite, you really need to know his kidneys. Um, and, and the Israelites, they wore their kidneys on their sleeve. Um, it's like the same thing. It's just, it's arbitrary. But the idea is, this is like the deepest down part of a, of, of a creature. It was their guts. It was their kidneys. Okay, so you got that? So uh, you've killed the animal. You've whoosh, burned up this, this part of it. And then in chapter 7, quick note here. So Leviticus lays out five offerings in the first five chapters. And then as soon as it's done that, the next few chapters it's like picking up little odds and ends, like little extra details. So chapter 7 is like the extra details on the fellowship offering. And one of the instructions that it gives is you're, you're to take the, the breast of the animal and the right thigh and you, uh, you don't burn that up. You, you grill that up for the priest. This is a lot like last week. You know, we were talking about the grain offering where they brought in the tortillas and then the, the priest like ripped off part of the tortilla and he burned it up. And then the rest was like to feed his family. We talked about how the priest like didn't have any other way to, to provide for themselves. So same idea here. Little food to feed his family. He gets the, the breast and the right thigh. 
Um, so you burn the fat in the kidneys. You've grilled the breast and the right thigh. You still got a lot of meat, right? I mean, I'm not like a, I'm not like a meat guy, but I looked at a chart on the internet this week, and um, I think you've basically got everything except for the brisket and the chuck. Like, so you got some really good cuts of meat left, like a lot of meat left. Um, you got the, the T-bone and the sirloin. You got a bunch of really good fillets. Um, what are you supposed to do with it? Well, the Bible says you're supposed to eat it. Like the guy who brings it into worship, he's supposed to eat it. How does one guy eat all that meat? Like, has anybody ever bought like a meat, like a whole beef, like from a butcher, from a farmer? Anybody know like about how many pounds of, of beef would you get? Like hanging weight. Yeah, like I was looking at like three to six hundred pounds. Uh, that was what the internet says. I don't know. I've never done it, but um, so you got three to six hundred pounds of meat. You've given away, I don't know, maybe a hundred. You got all the rest to eat. And then there's this wrinkle. It's chapter seven, verse fifteen where it says the meat of his fellowship offering of thanksgiving must be eaten on the day it is offered. He must leave none of it till the morning. You ever see that show Man versus Food? I'm thinking like this would be like his biggest challenge yet. Like what do you do? So you, here you are, you've got like 500 pounds of meat, maybe 300 conservatively, maybe 100, a lot of meat. You've got to eat it the same day. And they didn't do this offering until about 10 o'clock in the morning. So it's not like you've already had breakfast. This is just lunch and dinner. How do you get rid of it? You have a party, right? This, this is what this offering is basically about. So um, you invite a ton of people uh, to come and help you eat this animal. Uh, in fact... Uh, there's a section in Deuteronomy where Moses, like, he gives, like, a guest list. He's like, so, and you're like, when you're doing this offering, um, invite your children. That's good. Um, like, your family. Invite your servants, like the people who work for you. Invite the Levites. It's like the pastor. Be sure to invite the pastor to the party. Um, and, uh, and this was pretty good. Like, they didn't just even have the meat. Like, we read in another place, like, they brought cakes and crackers and breads and stuff. It was this really good meal. But even if you had your whole family there, and like every pastor in town, it still wasn't quite enough. And so that, that invitation list gets even longer. God adds three more people to the invitation list. So it's, uh, it's your family. It's the people who work for you. It's the, the priests. And then he adds to invite the fatherless, the widows, and the immigrants. If you were here last week, you remember these ones came up with the, with the um, offering of first fruits. Remember this? These three come up all the time in the Bible. The, the fatherless, so people without dads. The widows, like women without husbands and uh, the alien or the immigrant, like people who aren't citizens. And you remember what we said last week? Like, what do these three people all have in common? Like, they're all really vulnerable, 
right? Like they're like the most at-risk people in the community. Um, you know, immigrants, even today, right, they don't have the same rights as citizens. Um, it's kind of scary to be an immigrant. Um, you couldn't own land. Same way, like if you didn't have a husband or if you didn't have a dad, like you were really at risk. And so God is like obsessed, basically, with these, this group of three. And they kind of stand in in the Bible for everybody in the community who's vulnerable. And God says, for you to properly thank me, those people need to be at the party, which I think is interesting. Um, God is always, like all throughout the Bible, he's constantly like telling his people to like remember those three. And that goes right up till today. So if you're a Christian and you're like, oh, I don't really think about the poor, I don't really care, like they can do their own thing. And you say that you're a Christian, like that doesn't even really make sense. Like it just, like God is like so obsessed with people who are vulnerable and how they're cared for. Like it's just, it's like at the center of what it means to follow God. Uh, so uh, you invite all these people. Now I got a question for you. If you are somebody who is rich enough that when you're just because you're thankful to God, you're able to butcher hundreds of pounds of beef. <laughs> if you're that rich, do you think you like you're close friends with orphans or immigrants? I wonder if there's like something like behind this where God's like, hey, rich people, like you better actually be in relationships with some of these vulnerable people because you got to invite them to your party. Um, I, I mean, that's, I'm just kind of reading between the lines. But it seems like that's like you got to actually know these people to invite them. All right, so we got this meal. It's been going. And I spent a lot of time this week thinking about just the scene. I mean, you got to picture this, right? You got just heap loads of meat. Um, it's kind of excessive, isn't it? I, mean, I feel like everybody there would have a stomach ache. Um, like no portion control. Um, it's just it's it's kind of over the top. And it made me think like maybe the point of this whole thing. like So you're, you are celebrating God's goodness to you, right? You are celebrating God's generosity to you. Maybe the point of celebrating God's generosity is not to celebrate as efficiently as possible. Um, they killed a whole animal, and they didn't kill like the cheap animal either, right? Like they, it, an animal without defect. Like it was one of the good ones. Um, and I think we got to we got to keep our focus on the premise, right? God has been generous to me. I'm going to be generous to the people around me. I mean, that's the dynamic here of the fellowship offering. Um, in fact, that same section that talks about the guest list, it has this little like kind of rule of thumb for this offering. And it says, give the offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. So give the offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. So if God has blessed you, throw a party. If God has blessed you a lot, throw a big party. Um, the idea here is that our generosity should match God's generosity. Um, this isn't about cost-effectiveness. This isn't about efficiency. Um, when God blesses us, is He worried about cost-efficiency? Cost-effectiveness? 
Has anybody here ever received from God way more than you deserved? Like kind of over-the-top, abundant blessing from God? Right? That's the idea here. Anytime an Israelite recognized God's promises or, or, or experienced His faithfulness or His goodness, their God-ordained, biblically prescribed, right out of like kind of the weirdest book in the Bible, their instructions were to throw a party. And a good one. And the Israelites took this seriously. I mean, they, they took partying very seriously. I love the scene when they're dedicating the temples. This is the one about Solomon. Um, I think it's maybe 1 Kings chapter 8. But, um, so it took them seven years to build the temple. And there were 200,000 people working on it. It was just like, this huge building project. Um, this elaborate thing. And it says when they finally got there to dedicate it, um, it says they sacrificed more animals than anyone could count. Um, but then I guess somebody started counting. Because a few verses later it says there were 22,000 cows and 120,000 sheep. <laughs> and it says that there were so many animals. So they just built this brand new temple. Everything's clean and pretty. Right? They got this altar and they realized, like, this one altar is not, like, nearly enough, right? They got, like, livestock lined up around the city. Um, and so this brand, like, think it like it's a brand new church, and they just basically just set up altars all over the courtyard. Like, just, they're, they're grilling animals everywhere. All over the spotless new floor, they're just grilling animals. And it says that uh, they, the people celebrated before the Lord for seven days, and then seven days more. Um, did they have a lot to celebrate? Right? Had God been like very good and generous to them? Are, are you kind of catching the routine here? When you recognize God's goodness in your life, His generosity, this offering became a way to be good and generous to the people around you. And the principle here is, if God has been good to you, it's not just like your job is to just be happy about how good He's been to you. Like, share the love, basically, is what this offering is about. Uh, pay it forward. Like, if God has been good to you, you be good to the people around you. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. Do you think it was a coincidence that the fellowship offering was burned on top of the burnt offering. You remember what the burnt offering was about? It was God forgiving us. So here they are. They are just remembering that God has forgiven them. The fire is still hot from that offering. And what a perfect response, right? You then thank God with the fellowship offering. I love that. Last week, I had you guys take out your bulletins and I had you look at the offering where it says offering in our bulletin. And I said, that's really, that's a lot like Leviticus chapter 2. I talked about the, the offering of first fruits and how when we take our offering here, what we're really doing is we are giving back to God from His, what He has given to us. That was Leviticus 2, right? 
And I said, what comes right before the offering? Like basically every time we worship. It's the assurance of pardon. The assurance of pardon where we remember that Jesus' blood has covered us, has forgiven our sins. Right? That's Leviticus 1. Right? So every Sunday we have Leviticus 1. Jesus' blood covers us. Leviticus 2, we bring our offerings. Why don't we do Leviticus 3 every week? Do we have something for which to give God thanks every time we get together? I think this is a pretty good argument to have potlucks every week, frankly. Um, or I was thinking, like, if only we had some ritual in the church that was, like, some way to, like, celebrate that God has, like, forgiven us and that we have, like, unity with each other. Like, wouldn't it be cool if there was some ritual we could use? I don't know. We could use, like, bread and juice or something. It'd be perfect. And we could do it, right? Isn't this it's a pretty good argument for doing communion every week, right? Leviticus 1. God has forgiven us. Leviticus 2, we bring our offerings. Leviticus 3, we celebrate. Right? And imagine, they gave these elaborate offerings and they didn't even know Jesus. Right? They just had the shadow. How much better should our parties be? I have this dream for our church that we will be so moved by God's grace in Jesus Christ that we are just like constantly eating meals together. That's basically my dream. Um, And just like Leviticus, right? It's not just like rich people eating with rich people, right? But it's like like everybody together. I just think that would be so beautiful. You think, by the way, do you think when they, so you're some Israelite, you just butchered this like extremely expensive cow and you just invited like the whole town over to eat it. You think maybe you'd tell people why you were having a party? Or you think you'd be like real subtle about it? <laughs> God has been good to me! And you'd be telling everybody. I, I think this is such a... I love this offering. And at the heart of it, I think, is its name. Um... It's called the fellowship offering. And the word fellowship is translated from a form of the word shalom. Been around here for a while. I bring this word up a lot. It means peace most of the time. But it means more than that, really. It has this idea of like, not just like there's no fighting peace, but like everybody's doing good. Like everybody's flourishing. Nobody's held back. Nobody's excluded. Um, it has this idea of beauty to it. Like everything's beautiful. Everything is the way it's supposed to be. And so this fellowship offering, you see, because we have this shalom with God, right? because we see His goodness to us, we want to have shalom with each other. I, just, I love that. And I wanted to end, this is my last thing, just by reading from 1 John uh, chapter 4. And I think this is like a perfect summary of like what the fellowship offering is for us Christians. And this is what he says. He says, This is love. 
Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Atoning sacrifice for our sins. Where did that come up? It's the burnt offering, right? That's love. That's God's love. That we have a substitute. Takes all of our junk and takes care of it. right? So that's love. That God would send His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then it says this, and I love this. It says, Dear friends, since God loved us, we ought to love one another. God has loved us. We ought to love one another. And then it says this. It says, if we love one another, God lives in us. If we love one another, God lives in us. And His love, the love of God, His love is made complete. All right, let's pray together.